So listen, we've been continuing. That we, I decided this summer we're just going to talk a bit about the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and so we're actually, um, I've got the one that today just seems to be fitting. Now, I want you to know, for those of us who are like super type A people, I want you to know I am going out of order. I know it's messing with you. But because it's Father's Day, Sean suggests, you know, Harold, it's, you know, it's Father's Day. You might want to uh, focus your attention to this on this text this morning. So, um, so here it is. This actually comes from, it's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Um, and I promise you, I'll come back and get three and four. We'll talk about that next week. So the 12th uh, verse of the 20th chapter, the book of Exodus, we find these words, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of God for the people, God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So, um, so we talked, about, we started a couple of weeks ago. And I gave you this, the, the first one, you know, thou shall not have any other gods before me. And that's a really important, that's the number one. Um, by the way, you know, as reminded, these were really not, the Hebrew people weren't referred to these as the, the Ten Commandments. They're actually the Ten Words. As we know, when uh, Moses went to Mount Sinai, he actually, God spoke these before they were actually written down. And so we know that part of the tradition. And so the, number, the first one has, you know, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And, the, and the, actually, the, the ancient text actually goes back. It's not just thou shalt not have any other gods before me. As I've taught you all a couple of weeks ago, I am the Lord your God who's brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. So the beginning of the, the first commandment actually begins with that, that God is not just any other God, he is Yahweh. Yahweh, he's the sustainer of life. He's the source of life. He's the, the his existence of life. He's the, you know, he's the one who's given us the breath that we breathe this morning. And so that is really important. Then we talked about a little bit last week about the idols. Now, once again, you got to look because God says you aren't supposed to make an idol or some kind of image. You can't, in other words, there's, if I'm the, God's saying, if, if I'm the sustainer of life, I'm the source of life, how can you possibly come up with some kind of figure that is made by your own hands that it can actually capture the essence of who I am? So last week, the time of my sermon uh, was from an empty throne. And matter of fact, we got the empty throne. The tent, we talked about the Ark of the Covenant to an empty tomb. And the idea, once again, the empty throne, can you put that Ark of the Covenant back up for just a second? So once again, you got the mercy seat. And it's kind of, it represents the, mercy, the presence of God. And there is no image other than the cherubs. That's where God would sit. So there is no image that could be possibly uh, be able to capture the essence of who God was or is. And then, we, of course, when you think about the empty tomb, we think about if we want to really see the essence of who God really is, we look at Jesus Christ the son, the Messiah. And so we look at, you know, what's it, how powerful the image of what Christ taught us and, and the idea of who we're supposed to, how we continue to love, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbors ourselves. Now this last week, um, my friend Don Bucky over here, um, he and his team actually led um, a camp and we did basketball camp. So we took all the shears down. We had the basketball hoops in here, which is a beautiful thing. When um, my friend Al Lech is here today and he and um, uh, his team put together and they, when they designed this building, they made it a very multi-purpose room. So, you know, we have a beautiful opportunity to be able to worship here today. It's a, a gorgeous worship setting. But this last week, I tell you what, there's basketballs flying over here. There are kids running around. It was just a beautiful thing. And I really loved that. I really appreciate that we can use this room for so many 
many different things. And so in the midst of that, you know, I had a chance to give a devotion for him. So, you know, um, Kayla who, um, and Don asked me to do a devotion. So I had Wednesday. So I'm up here spinning the basketball and doing my little thing. And, so, and I, uh, the, 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 the text for this week the, had to do with, the pro, well, a quote from the book of Proverbs. And it was something like this. So it even had it on their T-shirts. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. So then I thought, okay, wh- how, I'm talking to like seven, eight, nine-year-olds. How can I make this translation a little bit easier for them to understand? So I went to the easy, t- easy to read translation. Did you know there's an actually an easy to read translation for some of us who kind of struggle with that? And of course, there's all kind of different translations, the NIV and the you know, not, uh, New Right Standard Version, the uh, King James, but this is called the easy to read translation. And this is how the easy to read translation um, says, reads. It says, trust the Lord completely and do not depend on your own knowledge. With every step you take, think about what he wants and he will help you, help you go the right way. So then I, I asked the kids as I read this quote to them, I said, so uh, with every step you take, think about what he wants. And then I asked the question, what do you think that God wants? And then I said, well, I think that God wants, once again, I'm talking to little kids. I think that God just wants us to do the right thing. And they all agreed. And I said, now, how do we know what the right thing is? And I said, let's just talk about the Ten Commandments. So I started talking a bit about the Ten Commandments, and I gave them the story, of course, as I shared with you all last couple of weeks, about Moses going to, uh, out off of Mount Sinai. So I began this. I said, so I asked him a few questions. So uh, Moses went, and he got the Ten Commandments. Where did he get the Ten Commandments? What mountain was on? The little boy raised his hand, Mount Sinai. And then um, a few minutes later, I said, so um, how long was he up there? He raised his hand, 40 days. And then I said, well, what did they get when he came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments? The little boy raised his hand, the golden calf. And I said, well, what did they make the golden calf of? I'm trying to stomp them. He says, he raised his hand. And all the other kids are have, like, they're shell-shocked. They have no idea. But this kid just keeps raising his hand. And he says, they made it out of jewelry. And I said, you're right. And I said, well, what was, what was Moses' brother's name? Aaron. And I thought, man, this kid should be on Jeopardy. This is amazing, right? This is, I'm not making this up. Don Bucky could testify this. So this finally, so after it was all over, the kids were walking out. I went up to this little boy and I put my arm around. I said, so what church do you go to? And he says, Ocala Baptist. And I said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Because the Baptists always know their Bible, right? kid was brilliant. It was just amazing. So we had such a good time with that. So we're on this text today, and, and I love it because, you know, honor your father and your mother. It's Father's Day, so honor your father and your mother so that your, your life will be long on the fertile land that Yahweh, your God, is giving you. Now, what's very interesting about this, and once again, we have the 10 words of the 10 commandments. And so as I share with you all, the first four have everything to do with loving God. By the way, you know, the, we think about the Old Testament, the New Testament, matching together. We have the essence of that all coming together in the Ten Commandments. So the first four have to do with loving God, and the next six have to do with us loving each other, right? Now, what's very interesting, because this is number five, um, out of all the commandments that God puts together, and it begins with our relationship with each other, this is the first one. So this has got to be important to God. 
not only is this the first one that has to do with relationships with each other, honor and father and mother, so there's got to be something that, but it's also the first commandment that we have that actually captures the essence of um, a promise that's connected to it. So honoring your father and mother, which is we find in this translation, is really, really important, but it also has this promise that once again, you're, you're gonna have, uh, your, your land is going to be fertile, that, lo- that God's going to, con- basically, God's going to continue to bless you as you hold true to this particular commandment. So then I started to think about this, this particular and the context of what was, this is written. And so we have the first command. It's really, really important. We, well, we have the 10 commands, but this is the first commands that connects with relationships. And then I started thinking, okay, how does the Old Testament connect with the New Testament? This And immediately, this is what, when I did my research this last week on this particular command, this is what came to mind. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Can you say it with me? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, so... Of course, this is, comes from Jesus. And so what does this have to do with this particular command? Well, it has everything to do with it. Because once, a, well, let me give you this story. When I, um, this goes back in the 1990s. My kids, um, you know, actually had, I've got three of my five kids home that actually came home to see their dad. And it was really, it's been really nice just to see my children. I love my children so much. And um, so I, um, I'm just grateful, so grateful. I said, the greatest thing for you all, to me, for Father's Day is you actually came home, but it's also nice that they went to Walmart and they bought their old man a brand new edger, which is really, really nice. So I got that. I didn't get a tie. I got an edger. So this is great. So we went down there and they paid for it. Actually, it was amazing. So anyway, because I thought they were all like going to look at me when we got to the checkout counter. Okay, dad, you can pay for it now. But no, they actually paid for it. It was just great. And so, um, so my, my, when I think about my kids growing up, I had this image this last week that really connected this text. And so um, I remember when, uh, this is only when Olivia and Logan were born. And so we lived in a parsonage in Dunellen. And, um, and so the, with the little, it was just a little bitty, tiny little house. I think it was about 1,100 square feet. We had a living room. We had a kitchen. Um, we had a couple of bedrooms. And so the living room was really where we lived. I mean, um, and there wasn't really much to it. So I remember my children, um, this is back before CDs and all this like time. We actually had, okay, a tape recorder. Do you remember a tape recorder, right? And we bought them this little, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. So we bought them a little tape recorder. And the movie that was really big when my kids were first, you know, starting out. And well, let me show you. Here's a picture of the Walt Disney. Does anyone remember The Lion King? Yeah. Do you realize that that movie has grossed between the musicals and the gross revenue for that movie in the movie theaters around $10 billion? So it's done pretty well. That's amazing, isn't it? So, uh, so it was a big hit. And so not only was it a hit as far as the box office, but the music was a huge hit. And so we bought them the soundtrack. And so they, my kids would learn how to put the little cassette tape in the soundtrack. And then Olivia learned how to turn the sound and they would, they would sit there and they would dance to the soundtrack. Now what's very interesting is Olivia got her little brother and she would dress up in a leotard and they would dance around. Now I look at Logan last night, he's 29 years old, he's a big strapping man, he's six foot four. And so I had this image of my son running around with this leotard because his sister dressed him up and they would dance, right? And the song that they danced to was called The Circle of Life. And I love that song. So here's the chorus. And the circle of life is the, it's the wheel of fortune. It's the leap of faith. It's the band of hope till we find our place on the path unwinding in the circle and the circle of life. And so when we think about what's interesting about this particular of all the commands, it really has a whole lot to do with the circle of life. 
It has to do with when, you know, once it what comes around, it comes back around. And so the idea that, that, that we as adults, and we, if we are blessed to be able to have children, our hopes and we aspire that our children will be able to go out on their own and live on their own and be able to be independent, but we also know we're gonna have to teach them right and from wrong and boundaries in life, and that's all part of it, and this is really, really good. But we also find ourselves as we get a little bit older that maybe sometimes we depend on them. This is what we call the circle of life. And that we, you know, when they were younger, we continue to provide for them and love them. Now, I thought this is actually a cute little story. I found this this last week, and it's called entitled God Will Provide. Once upon a time, you know, once again, we always, when we were starting out, when we have children, we wanted to make sure that they were provided for. So a young man brings home his, um, her, uh, uh, excuse me, a young woman brings home her fiance to meet her pants. After dinner, her mother tells her father to find, um, to find out about the young man. So the father invites the fiance to, to his study to have a talk. So uh, what are your plans, the father asks the young man, and this, the seminary student says, he replies, um, well, um, he says, on audible, um, I, um, I, what, what will you, he said, what are you gonna do? What, are you gonna provide a nice house for my daughter to live in as she's accustomed to? And, and he says, well, I know that God will provide. Um, the, and then he says, how are you gonna be able to buy my beautiful, my, uh, my daughter uh, engagement ring that she, she, she deserves? And, the, and he continued to say, well, you know, I know that God will provide. And then he, he, asked, he says, well, how are you going to be able to provide for uh, the children and, he's, and support them? And he says, I know that God will surprise. And he says, don't worry. I know that God will continue to provide. So the conversation proceeded this way. Each time the father asked the question, the young man who had these idealistic insist that God will continue to provide. Later, the mother asked, so how'd that go, that conversation? And he says, well, the father said, he has no job, no plans, but the good news, evidently, he thinks that I'm God. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. We all can relate to that, right? I love this quote from comedian Steve, Bar uh, Steve Barton. He says, you know, a father carries pictures where his money used to be. I just think, I love that, right? <laughs> I, so I, I was thinking about this, this text once again this week. I mean, the idea of the circle of life. We hope that someday our kids are going to be independent to be able to take care of themselves. But also we hope that someday as we get older and older, that maybe they would also, once again, they would help take care of us. And we've seen that. Maybe you've seen it with your own aging parents. You know, my, my father died five years ago, and so that we had to make some significant changes with, with my mom. So my mother came to live here. And so, you know, I try to be the very best son I can. Sometimes, you know, I've gone over there, I mow her grass, and if she needs a, a battery changed in, uh, in her uh, fire alarms, I, I do that. And so we, we have her over for dinner, and we look out for each other. It's just part of what I would think would be a good son's responsibility because you know, I feel like... After my father died, that's what I needed to do. That's what we call the circle of life. You know, my mother is actually fortunate because she has someone. And I know that many of your children, you know, they're fortunate they've had you, but you're fortunate to have children that actually look after you, that will care for you. But you do, I, I learned a new word this last week and um, I never had thought about it. It's called el the elderly orphaned. Do you realize that almost around, almost around 25%, actually it's 22%, that's one in four Americans are, when they get older in life, they're considered elderly orphaned. And that is a very powerful, in other words, they, they, don't have a, they don't have a son, they don't have a daughter, they don't have anybody that's really prepared to actually help care for them. 
And I think that's an amazing statistic. You know, let me just, once again, let me teach you for a little bit about American history. So, you know what's very interesting? You look back in American history, and actually American history follows the tradition that we find, actually the tradition about 35, 4,000 years ago, is families actually took care of family members. Um, you know, that we, for years, my, you know, my daddy was raised in a farm and, you know, the idea of living on the farm in the rural areas, the families actually had houses. They were actually built in a way that the, the older generation would actually move into the house. Or they would all stay in the same house together or maybe they would be a, a house that would be connected to a larger house. And that was just kind of the way it was in America. And so families took care of families. That was just the way it was. And of course, the, you know, we went through the Great Depression in American history in 1935. They actually came up with the Social Security Act in order for able to, to make sure that older Americans who were right, aging, that because their families weren't able, capable financially to help take care of them, that they actually put into the place. But where does that all start? Actually, it goes back 35, 4,000 years ago, where people, even in world history, it's actually been documented that this is a part of the tradition, that the older people, as they begin to age, that their children would actually continue to take care of them. So what's very powerful about this fifth commandment, by the way, it's the first the commandments that actually what it deals with relationships. And so the relationships, God says to the children of Israel, let's get off on the right foot. First of all, I want you to realize that you're supposed to, once again, only worship me. You can't make an idol. That doesn't work either, right? It's not gonna, there's no way you're going to be able to capture the essence who I am. So don't even think about trying to do that because I'm the sustainer of life. I'm the source of life. I'm the one that's giving you the air that you breathe. But it's very powerful as, as they think about building and moving into becoming a great nation. And so as Moses has led the children as Israel out of bondage, let's get off on the right foot. He says in the fifth commandment, you're supposed to take care of the elderly. So what's, let me just, once again, let me teach for a second about what this is and, and what it is. Um, you know, what it isn't is um, when you think about the word honor there, it's a really important word in the Hebrew tradition. It has to do with weight. It's heavy. Uh, in other words, the, the idea that we have to honor your parents or honor your mother and father has to do with the idea of respect, integrity, um, making sure that they feel is important. Um, and so this is what we hope, isn't it? As we continue to get old, as you know, our children are, you know, or someone would be, take the responsibility to help, you know, make sure that we're cared for. Um, and, and so we have that part. And the opposite of the word in the Hebrew there is the word light. In other words, we're not supposed to take this command to honor our mother and father lightly, right? So this is important. Um, and, and so what it, but what it isn't, isn't as it, you know, I, I realize that there are a lot of dysfunction in America as far as families, right? Matter of fact, I saw this statistic this last week, it's fairly recent, 675,000 children in America today were somehow mistreated in some form of fashion. That's an astounding statistic, right? To think that there are these hundreds of thousands of children that just haven't been cared for because their parents just haven't figured out how to parent, right? And a lot of it has to do with drugs and so forth and drug related and they just haven't quite figured out. And so these children end up in foster care, thousands and tens of thousands. As a matter of fact, well, my, my friend Wanda, who's a part of our, 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 our church, she has very instrumental in this program, Adlinum, and the Adlinum ministry, we, which we support. We help with children who are actually being taken out of the very difficult situation. 
and their transition to foster care. And so there's this kind of transitional time. And so our church actually helps children because sometimes when they, when they come out of, uh, when they come out of this, this dysfunction of this family, they got nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. So we have this, we have this issue in America, right? And we have this issue all across the world. And so when we look at the story is when it comes to a lot of times if you have come out of that kind of dysfunction that you have this resentment and I could certainly understand that because I was blessed to have a mother and father who loved me and took care of me, provided for me and I've done the same thing for my children and I, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I know that they're grateful for that but there are hundreds of thousands of children all across America who are actually gonna grow up and you ask and have to self, once again, the circle of life. What have they learned from their parents? Is it just a perpetual dysfunction that we continue to find? And so in the midst of all that dysfunction, we have to ask ourselves this idea, is, it, is really God saying that, that, that we're supposed to honor our parents that actually were drug addicts and that they can't even, they wouldn't provide for, for, for me or for my siblings? You know, it's, so that is not what this text is really all about. It's not about honoring dysfunction. But it has everything to do with, once again, I love this, how Jesus teaches us, and I think this is a really good, important quote that we find in the midst of the scriptures, because Jesus says, hey, um, um, he talks about, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So I think maybe one of the things, once again, how do we connect the Old Testament with the New Testament? I think one of the things that Jesus teaches us in that text is that it's not about, you know, honoring dysfunction when you've come out of this very, and I guarantee you there's people in this room who have been mistreated by their parents because their parent was an alcoholic or maybe your father left you or he was abusive and that's not what this text is all about. Um, it is about, I think what Jesus teaches us is about forgiveness. I think that's really important about be able to, if you got this bitterness in your life and because you've maybe been mistreated or abused in life, Jesus teaches us something about, because we've all at some point in our life been mistreated and how do we rise above that and how can we forgive people so we don't have this cancer, this anger, this angst, this bitterness that continues to well up in our heart that we can actually let it go and forgive the other person. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. So there are 675,000 children this last year have been mistreated. What does this text actually teach them about, once again, it's not about honoring the dysfunction but it has everything to do with perhaps rising above and forgiving those who've mistreated us. So I, I think it's really powerful. We look at this image and we find it in this text. And so we have the idea of honoring, which has everything to do with weight and heavy, but also has to do with light and not taking people light, heart, lightly and not taking our family for light, lightly and not taking our children lightly or not taking our parents lightly. Um, I, I love this text from the Apostle Paul. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right, Ephesians 6, 1. So what did Paul mean when he said that? This, this has everything, once again, the Old Testament, the New Testament, how they all connect together. What's very interesting about this text and the Hebrew word there for obey is shema, which means listen. And so, in other words, the elderly, um, as we get older and older, I think what we maybe we long for more and more is that our children would actually listen to us. You are thinking, good luck on that, right? 
But that's what the text says. I, you know, one of the things my wife is, her pet peeve is, Harold, why? And I said, well, honey, she says, I just don't like to be ignored. I mean, I've done that in my own, you know, my relationship with her. You know, I love her and adore her. And there have been times in which she says, you're just not listening to me, Harold. You're, you're on another planet. You're somewhere else. You're ignoring me. And I don't like to be ignored. But, you know, she feels the same way with her children. And so what I, you know, what's interesting is life, we talk about the full, full circle, the circle of life. I think as we get older and older, I think that maybe what we are at, many of us in this room, do we have anybody, people are aging here besides me? Okay. And so as we continue to age in our life, what we look for in life, the different stages of life is we just hope that our children will listen to us and that will care for us. Now, my children, what they're looking for from me right now is they just want to be affirmed and they want them to know that I'm proud of them. That's what my kids are looking for. But what I'm looking for them is I just want them to love me. And that someday, you know, as Don and I get older and older, I just hope that maybe they would be there to be a, to care for us in some form or fashion. Now, listen again, Don and I have taken every precaution because we do not want to be a burden to our children, right? But we do hope that they will follow this command, that they will actually listen to us and that they'll honor us and realize that, there's, that they won't take us lightly. This is what this command is all about. So, um, so what does Jesus have to say about this text? So the, uh, Jesus has actually has a couple of really important things to say about this particular text. So here's the first thing. We find it in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, that um, Jesus is having this conversation with the, the rich young ruler. And, um, and so the rich young ruler says, what is it I need to inherit the kingdom of God? And so he says, well, have you kept the laws? And he says, yeah, I've, I've done all that. And so honored, and, and one of the text, and part of the verse, one of the verses he quotes is honoring your mother and father. He says, oh, I've done all that, right? So we have that. But we also have this text in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus, well, goes into more of a detail about this particular commandment. And this is how it goes. Let me just read one little excerpt from Mark 7. It says, you are telling, he's referring to the Pharisees, you are telling people that they do not have to do anything for their father or their mother so you're teaching that it is not important to do what God said. You think it is more important to follow those traditions you have, which you pass on to others, and you do many things like that. Now, what in the world is Jesus referring to? Well, there was a loophole, and the loophole had to do with money and giving. So the ancient tradition was, evidently, there's that there people... Um, some people were giving their money that was supposed to be earmarked for their family or actually for their mother and father. And so they were giving the money to the temple rather than actually taking care of their mother and father. So, they, so the loophole was that the temple or the, the officials would allow people to actually do that. And Jesus says, that ain't right. You should be honoring your mother and father. And so, I, you know, I, Jesus basically, I don't care about the loophole, but, you know, in, in other words, what is Jesus saying here? He says, listen, people and your relationships are more than the almighty dollar. And, and you have to ask ourselves this question, why would people do that? And I, as I was kind of racking my brain, why would people actually take the money that they should be using or utilizing to take care of their elderly parents and then giving it away to, to God? or to giving it away to the temple. And I think maybe it had less and less to do with, once again, taking care of their mother and father. I think it had more to do with themselves. Because if he gave a lot of money, well, I draw attention to them. Oh, look at me. 
how much money I'm giving to the temple. And the Pharisees like that. And Jesus says, shouldn't work that way. You're barking up the wrong tree. You gotta take care of people. So um, as I think about this text tonight, um, today, I, I think that, once again, we have to look um, at Jesus's, not only his attention to making sure the detail of taking care of your mother and father, but we also know this, that Jesus had a profound relationship with his mother, Mary. Um, and how do we know that? Well, what I think it's really important. You go back to the Gospel of John and you find the first miracle that Jesus performs in the Gospel of John is the miracle of turning the water and the wine. Y'all know the story, right? Okay, so that story, according to John, has, it's rich with tradition, it's rich with symbolism, with all this, I mean, powerful, powerful message that we find here. And a lot of it has to do with abundance because let me tell you something. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, they run out of wine. And Jesus says, well, that's not my problem right? And he says, well, you know, and I think what Mary's thinking, he's going to go down to 7-Eleven and go pick up some extra wine. I think that's what she's thinking. But Jesus, he says, mom, it's not my hour yet. And so, and then Mary turns to the, the, the attendants, the servants, and says, do whatever he says. And so what's Jesus do? He turns the water and the wine. And man, they had one big party, right? They had a lot of wine, which has to do with abundance. Now, I don't know, I personally, as I reflect upon this particular verse, I don't think that there's anybody on the planet that Jesus would have done that for other than for his mother. And what I love about that text, if you look at that story, is that, you know, Jesus says, it's not my time, it's not, you know, this is, it's not just seem like the appropriate thing to do right now, but then Jesus does it anyway. Why does he do it? Because I think he was honoring his mother's wish. So we have that part of the story. And then we find this other thing. I think this is really, really powerful. It's the cross. Now, when you know, Jesus is dying, he's being crucified, he's up on the cross. By the way, um, and you think about the, uh, the conversation that he had actually with Mary and the one that Jesus loved, which we tradition says was John. And it's, it's there. And so what's also very powerful, do you realize that, that the, when they would crucify people back then, we always have this image that they were, the crucifixions were way up high on this hill and they were per, you know, kind of uh, hanging way up high. But you know, actually the Romans, when they crucified people, they actually crucified them very low so they could actually see how horrific it really was to die on a cross. Because the Romans, you do, the Romans didn't want anybody to cross them. So what's very powerful is that, can you imagine that Mary could actually reach up and touch her son's chest? That's a pretty powerful image, right? It also tells us that they could have this conversation. And in the conversation, Jesus says, um, turns to John and turns to his mother and says, woman, behold your son. And then he turns to John and says, John, behold your mother. So, the, so I asked this question this last week was, um, what's that all about? Because did you realize that Jesus evidently had six brothers and sisters? Why aren't they honoring their mother? And, and so um, I, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, there's, there's got to be something to this. So um, I went to my friend as I was struggling with why if Jesus has all these brothers and sisters, why aren't they, why does Jesus feel as if in his last dying wish to make sure that his mother's being taken care of? 
You ever thought about that? So I went to my friend, because I wasn't quite sure about that. So I went to my dear friend, Leonard Sweet. And you're not going to find this answer anywhere else but in Harold's email. And this is what Leonard Sweet said. He says, you know, Harold, basically, Jesus is cleaning up loose ends, as this is the very last one. How can he die for the brokenness of the world when he still has a broken relationship with his birth family? By the way, even families, every family in the Bible is dysfunctional. You cannot find a healthy, functional, fine family in the whole Bible. We all come from dysfunctional families, and Jesus is no exception. Never his brothers, sisters are a part of his team. His family ties, tries to put him away or do uh, what he calls, uh, or do an honors killing for his shaming and embarrassing his family with a claim that he is actually the Messiah, that from the words from Isaiah, and fulfilling them in your hearing. He goes on and says, so here he is on the cross, dying for the sins, the brokenness of the world, when he himself still has a broken relationship between his birth family and his new family. So the symbolism of the words, woman, behold your son, and John, behold your mother, are momentous. John represents his new family, Mary, his birth family. He's now healing the brokenness, which is why there is such power and the immediate footnote in Mary's moving in and living with John until he died. So you really can't understand all this until we people really capture a glimpse of how patriarch the culture was and that the father was the king or the kingship and each extended family functioned as its own little kingdom. They didn't have a police or law so that court of law was really the father's word and the family enforced the father's decision about who would be punished if a sheep were stolen or what would live or die. And Jesus abended all of that. Wow. That guy's smart. <laughs> so Jesus' dying wish is to make sure that his mother was taken care of. Yeah. So I close with this thought today. Um, uh, it's my own personal thought. My, my father, you know, I mentioned my father died about five years ago. And so at his eulogy, my kids actually got up and they did a beautiful job. Each one of them got up and shared a little tidbit of information about their grandfather. And it was one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced in my life because it was near to my heart. I really didn't have to give the message. My kids actually did the message. I didn't know they were going to do it, but they did it. So each one of them got up. And so I thought it was very interesting about my son, Luke. So my Luke, my Luke, uh, son Luke is the center of the children. And my Luke was, he's always the peacemaker because he was the middle kid. He was always trying to keep balance in our family. And he did a pretty good job of that. And so now Luke has chosen a career to help people. He's going to be a psychotherapist. He's gone, he actually starts his internship at a VA hospital. And I love this because for the next year, he's going to be helping our veterans. He's going to be, he's going to be helping people who are broken, people who are dealing with post-traumatic syndrome. He's gonna be helping them kind of bring some healing in the midst of their brokenness of their life. That's my son, Luke. Now, where'd he get that? Well, first of all, he's the middle kid. Second of all is this. When, my, um, my, when he was a little boy, my father, um, I had an aunt. Her name was Aunt Boone. Aunt Boone, once again, I had dysfunction in my family. Aunt Boone, bless her heart was married seven times to four different men. Now what's interesting is she never had any children. 
So she was a, gonna be an elder orphan. But my father wouldn't have that. So she moved to Lakeland and it was in a nursing home, assisted living right down the road from my mom and dad's house and my father would go visit her. But every single time that my children would come and visit my mother and father in Lakeland, my father would load up, load up all five of the kids and he would drag them down to the nursing home and they would visit their Aunt Boone. And out of all the things, that Luke could have shared about his treasured memory with his grandfather. It wasn't going to Disney World. It wasn't my, grand, my father coming to all their baseball games and basketball games. The one thing he shared is about his grandfather teaching him about life and love and visiting his aunt in a nursing home. Honor your father and your mother so that your life will be long on the fertile land that Yahweh, your God, is giving you. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for the day and for your light and your love. And we're grateful that we can continue to live in these commandments. And we're grateful for this wonderful commandment about the importance of honoring our mother and father as we think about this on Father's Day. So Lord, help us. Thank you, Lord, as we continue to live in to love and grace and hope and mercy. And we pray for those 675,000 children who come from broken homes. We bring healing and hope to their lives. In Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's children said, amen.